The Action Network Podcast, named Best Betting Podcast or Radio Show by the Fantasy Sports and Gaming Association, and the number one show for the invested sports fan. All right, here we go. What's up, Degenerate Nation? Welcome to the Action Network Podcast. This is the college football SEC betting preview. I'm Stucky, and with me, as always, is Colin Wilson. It feels good to be back. This is my most favorite thing to do in the whole world. I've been thinking about it, like how excited I am to talk about real, actual football that's going to be played this weekend. And, you know, we had some bumps in the road. We had some highs and lows. We're going to play. We're not going to play. Who knows if we're going to finish. The college football playoff thinks we're going to finish. But, I mean, this is the greatest feeling in the world to be recording and soon to be interacting with everybody and bitching about the governors and the Purple Bears. This is an odd year, and, like, we're way behind in time. Because we didn't I, – I didn't think there was going to be – I was confident there was going to be something and not at anything. Now I'm confident we're going to start. It's just a matter of if we're going to finish. That's – the biggest question for me. But now we feel confident that we're going to get games starting on Saturday night, nine o'clock. I think it's on ESPN between Austin P and Central Arkansas. Central Arkansas, we talked about earlier, we'll play anybody. Um, they played North Dakota State. North Dakota State's playing one game this year for Trey Lance. Their quarterback is going to get drafted as like a showcase game. We'll get to that game. Colin had a write up on the action app for it. College football is getting weird. So we have some FCS or no. There's going to be a lot of FBS, FCS games early on that we'll talk about. So for you FCS fans, that's good news for you. This is the SEC betting preview. So we're going to talk about all 14 SEC teams. We're going to talk with friend of the pod, Brody Miller, about LSU specifically. We had him on all throughout last year, and they won the national championship. Felt natural to just have him on uh, for this first preview pod. Next week, we'll have an ACC Big 12 preview in a combined episode. We'll also then have a week one preview like normal come out on Friday. We'll go through the week one games. Now, the week one games, it's a very bare, bare, bare slate. I think there's like eight games between Saturday. And we, do Monday, we have Monday night football between BYU and Navy, which I'm excited for. So we'll cover those games. We'll also just mix in a few nuggets on the other conferences, the non-Power Fives that haven't canceled. So everyone but the uh, Mac and Mountain West. But today we're going to talk SEC. We figured we should start here, the SEC it has won, what, 10 of the last 14 national championships, including last year with LSU. Uh, before this, before teams started canceling, you could make a case. You could make a case that well, I would say maybe six SEC teams were in the top 15 nationally. And this is before we've had, you know, Ohio State is not going to play. And so that's even bigger. Now. So it's a, it's a very, it's a loaded conference as always. We're going to get to every team. We're going to get to Collins, Arkansas. What are they, lost 19 straight conference games? I'm going to see if <laughs> Colin thinks that'll be extended to 19 uh, by the end of this year. And we'll get to all the teams. But first, let's start off with LSU. It's going to be on. 
There's no question about that. <laughs> We're now bringing in friend of the pod, national champion of athletic right now. He has all of the bragging rights. You know him, I know him. You can follow him on Twitter, Correct. at Brody A. Miller. He covers all things LSU, college basketball, a lot of news there as well, and college football. So first off, congrats. Um, where did you watch the game and how did you, uh, you enjoy it? <laughs> well, I was uh, in the Superdome, yes. Yeah, so I, I, I was there covering the game and whatnot. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm not actually an LSU fan. I mean, I'm 25 years old, and I covered probably the most interesting season I'll ever cover, so I might have peaked in that sense. But you had to be rooting for them, right? <laughs> I think Would I was be- rooting for them to have a good year. But then once it gets to that point, hey, whatever happens, happens. Brody uh, roots for Indiana in his free time. And, and truth be known, like, <laughs> this was a heavy play on Indiana season coming up. So – we're going to have okay, you had to just bring that up. <laughs> it was nine when Indiana was going to finally happen. It was going to be the best IU football season in who knows how long, and now we'll never know. We'll never know. Yeah, well, Bertie, let me, let me start with the reason why Indiana isn't playing, uh, unfortunately, and that is because of, obviously, the pandemic and COVID. And with most conversations in college football this year, we're, it's logical to start there. So there's, there was news out of LSU today of an outbreak with the football team. So do you want to give us an update on what is going on, yeah. what you expect to happen, and all that jazz? In the last few days, LSU, basically their entire offensive line has been, you know, depleted. Though I guess that's the word, depleted by, you know, I mean, basically all but four offensive linemen have either offensive linemen have either tested positive or are being isolated, you know, due to exposure. So LSU was basically for about two weeks practicing without an offensive line, in all honesty. So, yeah, it's going to be a – I mean, in, in all indications are no, no, you know, no major symptoms or anyone, you know, actually being in major trouble yet. So everyone should, in theory, recover in a few weeks. But, I mean, first off, you know, never know. We are still figuring out what the side effects are, start there. But two, obviously, the you know, in the immediate terms – practicing is going to be pretty weird. They're basically doing seven-on-seven practice and and can't really spend any time practicing the offensive line, which matters this year because it's pretty much an entirely new offensive line, and they definitely need that time to gel. So not good news for LSU for sure. Yeah, it could be a scramble drill for Miles Brennan. I've said this about week one when we come up on September 26th when the SEC starts. Of course, others will have games already. But the first game for everybody I think is just going to be extremely poor tackling, bad technique by offensive linemen because you can't simulate game speed. And now LSU is going to be without their offensive line. At least they're going to be, you know, out of commission for 10 to 14 days. And the rest of the team is going to be used to playing seven on seven. So that leads me into my first question, which has got to be everybody's number one question, which is Miles Brennan. And how is he adjusting to the offense? And now Scott Linhan is the new passing game coordinator over Joe Brady. And how has Miles Brennan accepted the role like put it on his back and 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 what do we think he's he's going to be for LSU this year I have to start with you know the thing I always feel like I need to say and not that you guys don't know this but just like for everyone you know listening that Miles Brennan is in the most unfortunate in some ways he's in a fortunate situation because he's inheriting an offense that finally figured it out but it's very unfortunate because LSU quarterbacks as you guys know I mean historically it's it's kind of mind-boggling that for a program so big they have pretty much historically never been able to develop quarterbacks who really genuinely produce in college. And, and so Miles Brennan, I mean, if he has the year that I expect him to have in 2020, it would be by far the best season in LSU history. I mean, if he threw for 30 touchdowns and 3,500 yards or something, that's the best season in LSU history, but he's following Joe Burrow 
who just shattered every passing record ever and threw for 60 touchdowns. And now it's kind of funny how this is all going to work out where the, the expectations are almost now like skewed, even though this team is so used to not having good quarterback play. So I say all that to say, I think Miles Brennan's going to be a pretty solid SEC quarterback. You know, I mean, I, I'll admit as, I, as much as anybody just from covering this beat for a few years, kind of always had this idea of him as this rich kid, you know, switched hair, you know, doesn't really put that much work in kind of guy who just had a really big arm. And I think, you know, while reporting a feature on it's going to run next week and just, you know, talking to people around the program, I think I was kind of wrong. I think he, he's actually a country boy from Mississippi who wants to hunt and fish all the time. He, he does have a huge arm. I do, he put on about 40 pounds of, of muscle mainly since he got to LSU because that was his other big knock was that he was too slim and all that. And he admits that he couldn't have taken an SEC hit two years ago, but you know, he gained that weight, learned from Joe Burrow. I think he puts the time in more now than he ever did before. From what I've gathered, the guys generally follow him. Yeah, sure. Not to the extent they follow Joe Burrow, but they're, they are behind him. So I think they have a pretty good system for him. He's inheriting that system and you have, Maybe if not the best, what top two or three, you know, overall receiving core and tight end core in the, in the country. So he's in position to succeed. So if Miles Brennan's even a a B B plus, that means he probably puts up, like I said, thirty five hundred to thirty touchdowns. You know, I, well that's in a twelve game season. Sorry, forgive me, but you know what I mean. So yeah, I, I think Miles Brennan's going to be a perfectly solid quarterback with the weapons he has. The question really for me is just, is this offensive scheme going to keep rolling even without Joe Brady and all those pieces? Let me move to the other side of the ball because I, I do think that it's really going to come down to – Brennan cannot obviously duplicate the historic season Barrow had, but, you know, his production and what that offense can, can do is going to come down to him. I want to turn to the defensive side of the ball. You know, and, and LSU is going through obviously a lot of, a lot of changes. What do they have, 15 players get drafted, new coordinators and new schemes. And I, I want to talk about the defensive side of the ball – you have Pelini coming in, who's I think going to run more four-man fronts, which I actually that that's like what LSU is to me, and I actually think it might be a better fit for this defense in particular. I'd, I'd like to see them be more aggressive on defense, which I think Pelini will do. So, <laughs> what do you think about the front seven and the scheme change and how that will play out? Yeah, I'm glad you asked because you know you said you you want to see them be more aggressive, and that's actually exactly what Ed Ogeron wants. And it's been a really fascinating like, thing to learn over the past few months that. I mean, no one's going to argue. Dave Rand is one of the smartest football minds like you will ever meet. I mean, he's clearly one of the most respected coordinators in football for the last five years. But Ed Ogeron inherited him. Ed Ogeron obviously, you know, was happy to get the job and he wasn't going to replace this really stud offense defensive coordinator. But they didn't actually necessarily, I'm not saying it was hostile, but they didn't have the same philosophies on defense. Dave Randall, he liked one high safety and he liked moving guys around. He liked a three, four scheme and whatnot. He, he, you know, his, his scheme was complicated, but he didn't do too much. You know what I mean? And, and Ed Ogeron, he wants, you know, he's from Miami in the late eighties. He's from USC in the two thousands. He wants that four, three scheme attacking defensive line and getting upfield blitzing and whatnot. And that is what Bo Pelini wants to bring too. So, I mean, first off from a personnel perspective, a four, three, I think, like you said, I think it just fits LSU better. But two, I, I, I do think Bo Pelini and Ed Ogeron might be a little more aligned and they might be able to get some more out of some of their biggest strengths, which is grant defensive line. In my opinion, I would say defensive line is the strength of the defense. Granted, you just lost Neil Farrell, who, I mean, even though he's technically a backup, was actually their most productive defensive lineman last year and I thought was going to have a huge year. He opted out this season. But still, that's their number three defensive tackle. So, I mean, that tells you something. Tyler Shelvin has a chance of being a first-round pick if he's in shape. I mean, when he's in shape, he is – 
probably the best interior defensive lineman in the SEC. Then Glenn Logan's a three-year starter who didn't put up a lot of numbers in the 3-4, and I don't know what his ceiling is, but I do expect to see a little – I think he actually could be a really good matchup as a three-technique defensive tackle. And then you have Apu Aika, who they think is going to be an all-SEC guy eventually on the defensive line. The question's defensive end because you have so little known there. You know, they have two veteran guys, Andre Anstey and Trevez Moore, who are really, really good pass rushers, and, but, you know, weren't necessarily good at the other things. Maybe they'll, they'll thrive in a 4-3, but, you know, it's hard to really bet on that. Or B.J. Ojolari is a name you definitely should kind of write down because he's a true freshman who, I mean, they get four and a half, four or five sacks in practice Monday, and they think he's going to be an All-American at LSU. But, you know, you never want to put money on a true freshman defensive end either. So, Defensive end's a question mark. I'm sorry for the long-winded answer, but my overall thoughts are, I think LSU's really talented in the front seven. Linebacker depth is a little tricky. If one guy goes down, you're actually kind of in trouble. But Damone Clark and Jabril Cox, just the two of them, and since they're obviously going to play nickel most of the time, it's really going to be a 4-2-5 a lot. Those two are two of you know, starting linebackers that I think you'll find. Jabril Cox would have been a third-round pick if he went pro this year. Front seven is pretty darn talented, and I think Bo Pelini will actually get more out of it than David Randa did. Yeah, I agree with you. And Jabril Cox, for those not familiar, is the North Dakota State transfer. Secondary is always an interesting topic at LSU. Colin, you want to uh, attack there? Yeah, I mean, it's really an interesting topic because if you look at the new schedule for the SEC, LSU draws Mississippi State in the air raid week one. And, you know, <laughs> and so, you know, Christian Fulton has moved on to the Titans. Uh, you know, Stingley's still going to cover one of those sides as a corner, but, you know, Kerry Vincent opted out for the season. And Jacoby Stevens is kind of doing a position change because he was a hybrid linebacker. Looks like he's going to go be a too high safety. Uh, you know, I don't know if, you know, Delpit had played so many different positions that you put him a lot of places on the field. I don't know if that's what they were trying to get out of Stevens. But outside of Stingley, are there any concerns in the depth and experience in the secondary, especially with Vincent opting out? And is there maybe a breakout star? Because LSU – is famously populates the NFL with defensive backs. Is there a breakout star or should we be worried about the new look air raid out of Mississippi state week one? So my overall reaction is you kind of nailed a lot of it. And that my overall feeling on the secondary is there is a ton of really exciting talent there, both Terry Vincent opting out and, and Marcel Brooks, granted Marcel Brooks is going to play linebacker, but he transferred and he was a safety, you know, you're not loving your depth there in the secondary, but what I, at least the corner, I should say, but, that first group or those, you know, if we're talking about the whole secondary, that top like six guys are really, really talented. So, I mean, obviously Derek Stingley is probably the best cornerback in all of football. Cordell Flott is a guy who, you know, rotated in pretty consistently as a true freshman last year as an under-recruited guy. He's pretty much guaranteed to take either the outside corner spot or the nickel spot, and they really like him as a true cover kind of corner. And Elias Ricks is a five-star top 20 player in the country who, again, you know, you always have to keep your eye open on how a freshman is going to do, but he seems pretty guaranteed to take one of those spots as well. So, you know, those three they really like, but then don't necessarily like the depth. And then at safety, like you said, Jacoby Stevens, I still think Bo Pelini is going to move him around a lot like David Rand did. I do think that's going to happen. Yes, I think they're going to play too high safety, but I bet we see three safety looks where Jacoby Stevens is moving around toward the box because I think everyone understands if you want to get the most out of Jacoby Stevens, you need him near the box. But still, you have him, you have Todd Harris coming back who – Scott Harris was basically their, you know, their third starting safety last season, but then went down week three with the torn ACL. He's back. He's a veteran piece. You know, and then Mo Hampton's the guy who, if you remember, when Grant Delpit finally rested against, the, against Arkansas, Mo Hampton was a true freshman who came in and started for him and actually impressed enough to kind of 
basically kind of earned some rotation time throughout the college football playoff in the postseason. He's a guy, he was a top, I think, 100 or at least 150 recruit coming out of high school. And he's somebody who can also play corner and safety, which is to get to, I can't help but wonder with those depth issues, if you almost have to explore maybe trying him out of that nickel spot and kind of let him be versatile because he can play both. The other name I'll really throw out there that probably you should know is Jordan Tolles, who's a true freshman who is absolutely going to see the field this year. I'm not sure if he's going to start, but he will play. I mean, it's like one of those 200, I think 16 or 18 pound safeties. He can fly around the field, top 100 recruit. And, you know, everything I've heard is actually he would have been a way bigger recruit, but because he was a two-sport guy who played basketball too and might play basketball at LSU, he didn't really do the circuit, so he wasn't as big of a recruit. He's a guy to definitely watch there. So, you know, I like their depth at safety. I just don't like the depth at corner, but I wonder if they're going to move guys around to try to balance it up. That's uh, an extremely in-depth answer, which is why we Sorry. have a lot of – No, no, that's, that's a compliment. Um, we go so in-depth on these things too, and that's why we love having you on. There's no fluff answers. Uh, and these are the things, the insights that we're looking for, we know our listeners are looking for. Uh, if we get through the season, we know we're going to have you back. But I do have two other questions before I let you go. One, I have to get this in. You have to be excited for the LSU special teams, right? And then – because I am. And – also, just this is a betting podcast, so if you had to just sum up how you see the season playing out and if you think the win total, I think, which is at seven, over seven minus 140, if you think that's about right, if you think it's too low, too high. Uh, so special teams and just overall thoughts, and then we'll get you out. Yeah. Well, yeah, special teams, yeah, I'm with you. I do think LSU should have one of the better special teams units in college football. One, Greg McMahon, you know, former longtime Saints special teams coordinator and been LSU for, I think this is year three, I think he's earned the right to kind of be a guy who I think you should just expect LSU to be pretty steady there year in, year out. I think they've been top 20 or top 25 in SP plus, you know, for special teams, I think every year. But also, yeah, you have Cade York going to a sophomore year, obviously a kicker. And obviously he had, you know, some highs and lows last year, but he ended the season pretty strong. He's a really talented kicker. I expect him to be pretty consistent this year. Zach von Rosenberg is literally going to be a 30-year-old, 50-year senior punter, former minor league baseball player, and he's obviously pretty consistently been a top, you know, I don't know, 30 punter in the country. So he's definitely another guy you can trust. And Derek Stingley, while he ended up having pretty disappointing results last year overall at punt returner, I mean, they still, like, they really believe, I mean, we've all seen him play defense, but he should be, like, one of those all-time special punt return guys. So I'm not sure if it's going to come together this year, but you do have to factor in he really might do that. So, yeah, I expect – and I think kick return, you know, I think actually might be a little better with, you know, someone like John Emery maybe back there, the former five-star running back. So I'm interested to see that. But when you talk about the bet, yeah, I mean, because I think as of a week ago, it was six and a half I saw a lot of places, which, listen, you know me, guys. I'm not afraid to be like, hey, LSU has problems. Like, their offensive line has problems. I think the secondary has depth issues. But when you look at the schedule they were handed, they were handled – by a wide margin, the most beneficial schedule you are going to find in this all-conference schedule because they do not have a single back no, – okay, so LSU is basically what? Four marquee games, right? you got Alabama, A&M, Auburn, and Florida. The rest are – you would assume wins. Maybe you lose one, but they really should win those other six. Well, of those four marquee games, none of them are in back-to-back weeks. And you look at any other SEC team – almost every other SEC team has like a three-game gauntlet, right? Like everyone else has like one of those three-week straight stretches where you're playing tough games. LSU doesn't even have a two-week gauntlet. They pretty much always have big game, then, then a, you know, a, a tune-up game, and it's kind of really fortunate that way. I mean, I had an LSU administrator tell me, he's like, hey, it was like they were in my head when they were making the schedule. So you factor that in, and you factor in, they start the season with Mississippi State, Missouri, and Vanderbilt before they play Florida. 
So you have a brand new quarterback, a new offensive line, and all these things, and you basically have a three-week preseason. I mean, if we're being honest. So I think this schedule couldn't be more beneficial to LSU. So, I mean, if you're taking an under seven, I mean, you're basically saying you think they lose all four marquee games, which, I mean, one in three I could see happening, but losing all four doesn't seem likely. So I think I take the over on that seven any day. I'll completely agree if you if you own the action app. I, I believe the same time Brody was talking about that on his Twitter, I was trying to push some money around and get that number moved. So uh, I I know I think we were DMing when I got an alert on Action Network <laughs> that you submitted that bet, and I'm like, all right, Colin, all right, yeah, it, yeah, that you got to have your uh, notifications turned on because it's gambling season of football. But yeah, that LSU number <laughs> I thought was a little outrageous. I thought it was about one too shy. It should have been more like seven and a half. So I'm glad I get some agreement here from Brody. All right, Mr. Miller, we appreciate your time as always, and hopefully we get a full uninterrupted season and everyone stays healthy and safe. Uh, so enjoy the college football, whatever we get, and uh, we'll talk to you throughout the season. Thanks again. Thanks for having me on, guys. Really always a pleasure. That is Brody Miller of The Athletic. Uh, and just as a quick reminder, make sure you subscribe, unsubscribe. Just t- take a second. You're listening to this. You enjoy the college football podcast. It really helps us rate, review, tell a friend, tell an enemy. Uh, make sure you also check out the Action app. Um, all right, so let's run through the rest of the conference. So basically the way SEC is going to start on September – no, it's 10 conference games. So all every team just has a conference schedule, 10 conference games. Starts on September 26th. So we're not starting for a little bit here. And then every team has one bye week built in. And then also December 12th is an open date. So if you need to move a game, you can play that weekend. And then we'll have the conference championship. The divisions are staying the same, uh, just like before. So let's run through – all these teams. We did LSU, so I guess let's stay in the SEC West. We'll take just a couple minutes. If you do love a win total, I think I'm staying away from all win totals. I don't, I, there's just too much uncertainty with this season. So, Colin, chime in if you like a win total. I did play one future in the SEC that I will get to when we get to that team. But basically the objective of this podcast, you know, there, we have a month until SEC starts. Get the juices flowing. Get you familiar with some of the strengths and weaknesses, just overall feel for some of these teams. So we'll cover – the rest of the 13 teams pretty quickly. Now, let me caution you. This is only an exhibition. This is not a competition. As always, please, no wagering. At Alabama, clearly the favorite. Look, it's really amazing. They lost 10 players in the first three rounds of the NFL draft, two wide receivers in the top 15, yet their wide receiving core might be just as loaded with Waddle and Smith, and this team might be better than last year if the quarterback position works out with either Mac Jones or the super-talented dual-threat freshman Bryce Young. You know, half the, their team was so young and so hurt last year. But one time there was half the starters were true freshmen. You get Dylan Moses back. Uh, there's, all, there's coordinator continuity for the first time in a while, which I think will pay off. And this is the season that you want Nick Saban. It's like revenge season. They didn't make the playoffs for the first time in six years last year. They won LSU bad. And during all this chaos, that structure that Saban demands, this is, that's what you want in this chaotic season. Maybe the secondary probably is the biggest question mark outside of certain, but this team looks loaded. I think they're getting to the SEC title game and they're winning the West. What say you with just high level about Bama? High level. I mean, I have been projected at 7.89 wins. Um, you know, they had the f- fourth best offensive success rate. They returned 55% from that group. And the knock on Mac Jones, at least from a PFF standpoint, was that he doesn't have the ability to throw from a clean pocket. I see that completely differently. I checked his numbers. Efficiency moves from 53% to 49% when he's blitzed. His completion moves from 71% to 65% when he has pressure. So I don't really see a huge drop-off like we'll talk about like with Bo Nix. That's a major drop-off when he has hands in his face. Bo Nix season in full effect. 
Mac Jones had a nine to one TD to INT ratio with, with only five drops in 2019 after being thrust into the toughest portion of Alabama's schedule. It's not like he came in and played little sisters of the poor. I mean, he came in at the toughest part of the year, uh, you know, and I, I will say this, if there were Heisman odds out there this year, I probably would have stepped out of the quarterback footprint, you know, what you're supposed to do to bet a Heisman. And I probably would have put money down on Jalen Waddle because not only what Waddle did on the field offensively, but what he does in special teams is he's a complete game changer. That's all he was is a game changer. And he, you know, he's just one of the many talented skill positions that they have there. But Waddle had 15 play action targets last year. He should get the lion's share of Judy's 60. Waddle had 12 screen pass targets last year. Uh, he's just short of Judy's 20. I expect him to get all of Judy's play action and screen pass targets. I really like Alabama, but the problem is the number is at eight and a half. Uh, I think the under is heavily juiced. I make it 7.89, so I agree with that. But, I mean, this is Alabama. If there's a college football playoff and everybody's going to have one loss, right, because of, because of the season, I, I don't know. I don't know what number is going to have to be out there before I buy on Alabama because you're right. They finally have stable names at the coordinator positions, and, and the collection of skill positions is out of control. They have that new sports science facility, which is their, their hope is that that's going to help with the injury concerns. And don't forget about Najee Harris at running back and then yeah. a, a four out of five offensive linemen back led, led by Leatherwood, who's an absolute stud at tackle. So this team is obviously loaded. And look, we're not going to go extremely in-depth every team because, look, we still have a month. There could be injuries. And there's a limited slate each week. So we're going to have ta- more time each week to go into these teams once we talk about the actual – matchups that week so the one thing that the SEC did do with their schedules they maintain their rivalry so old you know the Iron Bowl the Egg Bowl will still be on the same weekend that we're used to on th- that Thanksgiving weekend so speaking of the Iron Bowl let's move on to Auburn Bo Nick season in full effect Bo Nick season in full effect I know a lot of people out there are excited to hear that clip many times throughout the year uh, so Bo Nix comes back at quarterback. Your boy, Chad Morris, uh, is going to be calling plays. I'll be interested to see that dynamic and how the offense works. The posi- school position players are loaded. Bo Nix should be better. I mean, Schwartz and Williams and so, they all come back. The biggest question, the D lost a ton to the NFL. Biggest questions to me, they're secondary. Uh, would they lose, I think, four starters from the secondary? And their offensive line. They lost all five primary starters in the offensive line. I think Bo Nix is going to be better. We could have Bo Nix season in full effect. If that offensive line comes together, the defense side of the ball lost a lot in the front seven, too. They still a big cat Bryant, but they lost a lot to, you know, Brown and Davidson to the NFL. And then that secondary lost a ton. Uh, so they have work to do in Auburn. Obviously, you're never going to have an easy schedule. Uh, quick thoughts on Auburn? Yeah, I mean, you named all the losses they have, and I, I completely agree. You've had your trenches completely cleared out. There's questions around Bo Nix here that I'll get into. But, you know, when you have – the schedule that they have in these even numbered years, it's impossible for them to win the SEC. The, the time to play Auburn is always in the odd number years when they have Georgia and Alabama coming into Jordan Harris. So definitely it's a pass on me and my, my projection is 6.3 wins. They're at 6.5. So it's just a pass, but to, you know, tag on a little bit more about Bo Nix. Uh, not only is he going to be playing behind an entire new offensive line, 
I did a little like deep dive after he was ranked 95th as the 95th ranked college quarterback in that PFF article, and they cited the downfield throwing. So if you go a little bit deeper into Nix's numbers, his efficiency moves from 51% to 25% when he has pressure. He took 17 sacks on 84 pass attempts with pressure. Uh, you think that would you know get better as he goes from a freshman to being a sophomore, knowing when to get rid of the ball and not taking so many sacks. And 34% of his passes went past the 10-yard line. And those passes only had a completion rate of 36%. So, you know, Auburn to me is the team to buy in 2021 when Bo Nix is a junior, when they reload in those trenches. But as for this year, it's a no play and a pass. And I still think we're going to have some struggling for Bo Nix. Bo Nix season in full effect. Bo Nix season might not be in full effect is what you're saying. Do you have any idea how disrespectful that is? What is your win? What did you make the win total? I made it 6.3 and it's at six and a half. And don't think that the addition of Chad Morris is going to do that guy called himself Gus light for years because he took, a, he took the wildcat in the mid two thousands, ran some running back version of it in Texas high schools. And now all of a sudden he works for Gus. Don't be thinking that it's going to be the smash mouth offense. He's just a puppet for whatever Gus wants to run. It's just that if Auburn's bad, he can blame it on Chad Morris. That's what he's there for. So, uh, you know, Chad Morris being there is, uh, actually I probably should dock a point off of Auburn for that. Blame it on the chat, as always. All right, so let's move on to much more on Auburn and Alabama. By the way, Alabama, Florida, and Ole Miss, the only three teams in the SEC without back-to-back road games in the schedule. Let's move on to Texas A&M. Really intriguing team. The first thing that jumps to mind to me when you say Texas A&M this year, experienced. Lots of experience. We're 18 returning starters. It's year three of Fisher and his recruits. Um, so there's no more excuses here. I mean, obviously their schedules, but just brutal. What they face three number one teams last year, but you have Mond and Spiller headline the offense. There's some talent on the uh, outside at a tight end. They do return four or five on the offensive line, but it was an O line that was outside the top 100 in sacks. It wasn't great. Do you get some progression there to be determined? You know, Elko and his four two five defense. He's got two great linebackers there. They got to replace Montabuke up front, uh, who was drafted. The secondary is experienced, but they just they just need to create more havoc, which is we talked about that a lot last year. So uh, this team is really experienced. It's an interesting team. What are your thoughts on the Axe? And, and people know Mike Elko, at least those of us that follow Havoc and Tackles for Loss. If you don't know what Havoc is, if you're new to the pod, uh, Havoc is a combination of forced fumbles, pass breakups, the same as interceptions, uh, and tackles for loss. And we, you know, like to bet on defensive coordinators that are really high on havoc, which is like a problem that Georgia's had for years is that they're a great defense and they can, you know, stop the chains, but they can't take the ball away from you. And Texas A&M actually ranked 23rd in our havoc rankings last year, but it was all tackles for loss, PBUs. It had nothing to do with taking the ball away. So that's something that Elko is going to have to have to kind of get back from some of his former defenses that he's coached before. You would think in the third year of Jimbo, because he runs that pro style offense and there's just complaints that it's, you know, too hard to run or Mond can't grasp it. And that Mond is good outside the pocket and he's good when he's on the run, which is true. That's when he's done his best work and has his most highlight reels. Uh, but I mean, this team returns everybody. There's no excuses for not knowing this offense. You return 80% of your offense and 74% of your defense. You rank 17th in success rate on offense last year. You ranked 33 in success rate on defense last year. You have everybody coming back that knows this system. So there's really no excuses. And, you know, I, this was a team that I was betting on back in January because of the cupcake schedule. The September and October was a joke. The Alabama and LSU was coming in later in the year. They potentially were going to go 10 and 0 going into those games. Uh, But now, you know, put Florida on there and uh, it's going to be a battle. And and again, if you want to be a top of the SEC West, 
you're going to have to beat Alabama. It's what LSU's had to do in the past. It's what Auburn's had to do in the past. And now it's Texas A&M's turn. If they want to take another step up, they've got to beat Alabama. So I think one thing that needs to be mentioned about them, my projection is 7.48. So yes, I would say over seven. It's juiced a little bit, but you know, it's not a huge play. I think one thing that I don't like is that at the Action Network, we have our own home field advantages. Most people just apply two and a half points. But what I do is I look at the last 10 years of what you've done against the spread at home. And if you were consistently beating bookmakers and odds makers, uh, then obviously your home field advantage may not be evaluated correctly. Texas A&M is one of those teams. I had their home field advantage higher than the standard 2.5. And I think with COVID and limited number of seats, I think they really lose a big advantage at home with the 13th man not being a full 13th man. Uh, totally agree there. And let's round out the SEC West with – there's a lot of change in the SEC this year, and this is not the summer that you want to be dealing with a lot of change. There's a lot of new quarterbacks. There's transfer quarterbacks. There's a lot of new coordinators. The three teams that we haven't covered yet in the SEC West, Arkansas, Mississippi, and Mississippi State, they're three of the four teams in the SEC that have a new offensive coordinator and a new defensive coordinator. Vandy does as well, which we'll uh, we'll get to later. But let's start with Miss State. It's the Leach era, right? And you know they air, they're going to have the air raid. They bring in KJ Costello, who you assume is going to. I love KJ Costello at Stanford. Do you assume is going to thrive eventually in this offense at some point? Although you know it's it's really odd. This team averaged 180 yards passing last year. They have leading returning rusher in Hill really unproven wide receivers. They didn't really throw it much last year. So it's like, how is this going to fit? And the offensive line has to learn new techniques. They didn't have a spring. And when Leach first went to Washington State, his team sucked all year. And they pulled off a couple upsets at the end of the year. There's a book, The System, it's a college football book. It's awesome read. There's a chapter in it about Leach. Uh, there are a couple chapters, actually. So he wants to go in and establish his scheme and his system and his guys. Like, he might kick off some people off the team. So this could be a big work in progress. I want no part of Miss State early on in the year. There's more talent than Leach is used to on the defense. You know, Tom, Earl Thompson comes back at middle linebacker. You have some, some talent on the D-line with uh, Spencer and Pickering. But I just think it's going to be a struggle early on. Thoughts on Miss State? Yeah, well, I can tell you this. When Brett McMurphy, friend of the pod, was able to tweet out our projected lines, there was so much Mississippi State action going on in my timeline. I mean, for three days worth of Mississippi State, people are in love with this Mississippi State team. The idea of the air raid coming to the SEC and KJ Costello running it. But this is not the formula of somebody that you want to take right out of the gate. This is something you want to, you know, let Leach get his system in place, let the players become accustomed to it. And you couldn't have picked another program with such a stark contrast. So here's the reason I'm down on Mississippi State. They have 54% returning production or less, and it's a complete entire scheme change. Mississippi State was 52% run in the 11 formation. 52% of the time they were running the ball. That is a very high, you know, they were, you were running and passing downs at Mississippi State, and they were doing that all out of the 11 formation. Wazoo runs only the 10 formation, empty set, and they only ran the ball 18% of the time, which is probably when it was, you know, third and 18 or they had to do a draw and just get the hell out of there. But it's a huge scheme change. The run-pass ratio is going to go through a huge change. The, the 11 formation that they've always run at Mississippi State, that's gone. It's going to be mostly 10. And, you know, if you don't fit in Mike Leach's system, he'll find somebody that will. It's not like he's going to bend to, to match with the players that are already in-house. So major returning production, you know, changeover and, and the fact that this scheme is just completely different and the run pass ratio is completely different. I want nothing to do with Mississippi State this year. 
Yeah, maybe later on in the year, if you start to see some signs, they might be a really live underdog, especially if they struggle. So you might get some value later on in the year. You also defense moving to a three-three-five. Not the year to be doing this, but long term, it may benefit Mississippi State. Yeah, so I have Mississippi State at projected at two point three five, well below the four. And if you look at this schedule and who they have to face, find five wins for me. So I mean, it, on Mississippi State's best day, you're pushing four. But to me. You know, I projected 2.35, and, and that's going to be Arkansas. There's not many wins on this schedule. All right, so let's move on to Ole Miss. M-I-S-S-I-S-S-I-P-P-I. Again, a lot of changes here. It's the lane train is coming in. It is worth noting that they were 0-5 in one possession games last year, so you would mm-hmm. think that that's you know, a team that's going to get a positive regression bump. It would be Ole Miss, but they've changed everything. You have a new offensive coordinator coming in, and, you know, obviously this was a really run-heavy team last year. Kiffin wants to be more balanced, throw it more. You have Plumley, who's just a superstar runner at quarterback. Does he really fit with that offense? I don't know. Are you, you going to see Corral eventually? So there's questions there as well. You also have new defensive coordinator, co-defensive coordinators coming in. DJ Durkin actually is one of them. They're going to be moving to a four-man front, I believe. The secondary needs to just get a lot better. They have a lot of new pieces. The price transfer hurts at cornerback. So, again – lot of transition and change, and I'm not sure that the roster fits the scheme change right away, just like Mississippi State. So I see a lot of parallels between these two teams. Thoughts on Ole Miss? We can sit here and cite what the roster looks like right now, but daily it's changing. Like there's people coming in and out of this program still. Lane's making uh, changes as much as he can. And is John Reese Plumley the guy? I mean, uh, I've seen Kiffin work with some dual threat quarterbacks at Bama and FAU, and he had some success there. But, I mean, really the throwing from Plumley is – pretty sparse. So that's something that, you know, Kiffin will have to work around until he finds somebody to run quarterback for him. Uh, you know, my projection on Ole Miss was 5.12. And I got torn up, you know, about that. It's like, why are you so high on Ole Miss? And you already stated what it is because their second order win total gave them such a huge PR bump because they were unlucky in so many games last year that if, you know, if you have regression to the mean, they're going to win one of those five games that they lost last year and maybe more. Uh, you know, the one thing about them is <laughs> – you know, the defense has to get better. Their tackling, uh, their, their tackling was poor. They have so many missed tackles, one of the worst in the SEC, and they don't disguise their blitzes. Uh, they ran the 3-4 last year, and every time they ran a blitz, it got picked up. So, you know, maybe coaches can help out with that, but this was just not a very well-coached team for having three head coaches on the staff. It just wasn't a very well-head coached team. And the middle portion of the schedule is winnable. And if you're going to go over four, which I would because I project them at five, there's Vandy, Arkansas, after after just a crazy start to the season with the toughest teams in the SEC, you get Vandy, Arkansas, South Carolina right in the middle of the schedule. Uh, you get Mississippi State at home in the Egg Bowl at the end of the year that probably could get you to five, uh, you know, at, at worst push at a four. Hope you're enjoying this great Action Network podcast. I want to make sure you know about the Locked On Podcast Network. Locked On has a daily podcast on your favorite team. Welcome to you, Locked On 49ers. You are locked on to the Dallas Mavericks. Welcome, everybody, to the Locked On Lakers podcast. Let's go. Locked On podcasts are hosted by the local experts who know your team better than anyone and give you the inside scoop. So go to your podcast app and search Locked On, your favorite team. Subscribe to your Locked On podcast. There you have it. I mean, again, much more on all these teams as we get closer to September 26th. But we just really wanted to – we wanted to talk about it personally, all these teams, and then also whet your appetite uh, and just get your, your juices going and your brain moving for all these teams in the SEC. Uh, the last team in the SEC, last end, certainly least, 
uh, should I say, is Arkansas, who has lost 19 consecutive uh, conference losses. New OC, new DC, transfer quarterback in. Uh, so a lot of changes. I'm not even going to – I don't really even cap Arkansas because I just – I don't – like when I'm doing SEC previews, I'm like, all right, I don't even have to do anything for you because I just rely on you and just go on what you say. So take it away. Woo, pig suey. Absolute dumpster fire, dumpster fire. I don't know how we win a game the rest of the year. Just blow the program up. Give us a death sentence. Collins talking Razorback football. Well, I thought the proje- – I had the projection at like .98. Right. I thought that they could maybe squeak out a game. Uh, the numbers mathematically put them at 0.98, but it came out at two. The chance of Arkansas, who has won one conference game since 2016, just one. <laughs> oh, wow. You better be shitting me. <laughs> the chances of them winning three conference games this year is impossible. And it went total of two. It was an easy play taking under two. At one and a half, I still think it's a play, uh, just not as high a volume. Obviously, if I make. The, the projection just lower than one, then you should take under one and a half. I love the direction of the Razorbacks. I think Sam Pittman is playing that CEO, CEO role perfectly. He's going to be, you know, somebody that's there for all the players, and, and, and he's a massive recruiter. The recruiting is really going to get ramped up over the next two years here. Getting Barry Odom as our defensive coordinator was the steal of the century. Missouri should not have let him go. He had some bad luck, and he lost the team last year. Excellent defensive coordinator. D- Missouri's defense was fantastic last year. Arkansas got a steal in getting Barry Odom. We'll see how long he stays. And Kendall Browse, our offensive coordinator, who knows how long he's going to stay. He seemed to can't stay in one position, you know, year after year. But, you know, Felipe Frank's under center. I just think he's there to take hits uh, until this offensive line matures a little bit more, until K.J. Jefferson grasps the, Bryles, the Kendall Bryles offense. And I think we'll look at Arkansas next year. Under one and a half is the play. It's juiced in some places, so shop around. Arkansas under one and a half is the play. Vanderbilt's not on the schedule. That's the only team you could beat. So under one and a half should be pretty easy. Yeah, I mean, they have some talented pieces on that offense. With Frank's coming in, you got Boyd at running back, deep yeah. wide receivers. But the O-line is just undersized. They lost their, bet, their three best defenders, relying on a lot of mm-hmm. transfers. And again, no spring, all these changes. It's just not ideal. But uh, I'm glad to hear that you're optimistic about the future. All right, so let's move on to the SEC East. And in the SECs, Georgia's going for its fourth straight division title. So we'll start there. They had the number one recruiting class in the nation, which is worth noting. So they reloaded. Obviously, it's your pick, you're splitting hairs here between Georgia and Clemson and Alabama, but Georgia actually graded out number one. Some changes here. So, so this is a, their new offensive coordinator. You have a new quarterback. So Todd Munkin, who wants to run a more spread out, deep passing with more deep shots and uh, you know, spread option attack, and which is different than George, like very conservative Georgia. How is Kirby Smart just going to let him go with the offense? You have Jamie Newman, the Wake transfer is going to be quarterback. You would think would fit in that system, um, but what's that going to look like? That transition and how's that going to mesh with Kirby? The you know the the defense is loaded. Uh, it's one of the best defenses in the the nation last year and they bring almost everyone back and they rotate a ton of guys and they just bring back so much. So the defense is going to be really good again. The question for me with Georgia all comes down to what does this offense look like? How long does it take for it to find its identity and execution and how, how early can they do that? Cause the defense is going to be great. Thoughts on Georgia. Georgia's projected at 8.29 wins. Uh, their win total is set at eight and a half under is juiced to minus minus one twenty five, And I think that's all appropriate. Now, 
let's talk about, you know, Georgia is returning 80% of a defense that was 15th in success rate. And, you know, there's two things that this team lacks to win a national championship over the last three years. And we will see with a new offensive coordinator and, you know, constant Kirby tweaking on the defense if we can up this. But on the offensive side of the ball, it's scoring points in the red zone. It's the reason Jim Chaney was let go and off to Tennessee. It's the reason we've had a change from last year from Coley. We have to score points in the red zone. Uh, defensive side touchdowns. of the ball, yes. <laughs> we have to score touchdowns, not field goals. Uh, and, and Georgia's defense, it's the same thing every year. It's the Havoc rating. The Havoc fell really off a cliff two years ago. They couldn't force a fumble for their life. Last year, their overall Havoc rating got up to 41st. But that was because of tackles for loss and, and, and mostly pass breakups. It had nothing to do with forced fumbles, which I think was in the single digits last year. So it's, again, same thing. You see a Georgia defense creating Havoc. You see a Georgia offense scoring in the red zone. Then you have a national championship team, but we haven't seen that yet. So Jamie Newman, I think, is going to be a home run. Uh, you know, some of the stats that are coming out on him, he was second in the nation in tight window passing right behind Joe Burrow. And then there was just falling off a cliff of all the other quarterbacks in college football. I think Jamie Newman's going to be just fine. It's a matter of scoring points in the red zone. Yeah, I do love I do love this defense. I mean, the Count's one of the best safeties in all of college football. They have experienced corners, and then you got Monty Rice at linebacker. Jordan Davis is a stud up front. So the D's going to be there. It comes down to offense and how that all works out. So I completely agree with you. By the way, Rodrigo, our boy, Rodrigo is gone, the kicker. But they have this kid who I'm excited to watch. It's apparently, I don't, I I have to double check to see if he's going to be the starter. But they have this freshman who apparently kicked the 59 yard field goal over the upright in high school. So maybe we have our next star kicker at Georgia. Had to get my special teams nugget in there. All right, so let's move on uh, to Florida. I loved Florida before the schedule changes. Then they were maybe going to get Alabama, and then they didn't. So, but they, they have to go to Texas A&M, not as bad as getting Bama. Then there was the rumors that the, their star wide receivers were all going to sit out. Well, apparently they're all going to play. You know, Tony and company, they all came out and said they are going to play. Kyle Trask, arguably they have the best SEC day one quarterback, which I, I think helps. This is, you know, Dan Mullen, this is his time. And Grantham, they have the continuity on the staff. They have the quarterback returning. These are all the things that I love about Florida this year. They do have to replace some pieces, some NFL pieces, their corner, their two best defensive linemen, all three defensive linemen, actually. But, you know, three NFL draft picks that were really productive they have to replace them. There's still questions about the offensive line, but I think this maybe this is the year Florida can get Georgia, and if they can, and if you believe that, then I think that there's some value on taking Florida to win the SEC. I saw some 12 to one, which is what they were to win the national title, like before all of this. So I have some Florida 12 to one to win the SEC. Go Gators. What are your thoughts on Florida? Yeah, I mean, really, Trask has to have his best day of the year against Georgia if they're going to beat Georgia. And and that's the problem with Trask is that he had uh, nine big-time throws last year and he had 22 turnover-worthy plays. Now, maybe with a little bit of seasoning and a little bit more snaps, maybe that, that will correct itself. But his efficiency downfield was not good last year whatsoever. It fell off a cliff. If you look at any passes that were completed over 10 yards, uh, Trask's efficiency was one of the worst in the nation. Uh, you know, the, like I agree with you, the, the game against Georgia is really what should decide the East. I know there's props out there for the SEC, for the national championship, but really what I think a gambler should be looking for is in that head-to-head -head against Georgia. If you can find a Florida plus 150, that's worth a play because that 
would be the number that I would buy for Georgia to win the SEC East. And in my opinion, these are the only two that can win the SEC East. So if you could see a game of the year spot, I know they're up at, at DraftKings and they're up at some other places. You see plus 150 against Georgia in a look-ahead line on the money line, that's the number that I would take instead of buying an SEC East or an SEC crown. Uh, I, I would do that number, but I'm a little nervous about backing Trask here. Uh, you know, that he puts himself in a really bad position. I, I thought Mac Jones was a little bit of flavor of Trask, but it's actually not true. I mean, Mac Jones is a much more efficient passer and he's much more, even when he has pressure in his face, there's not that big of a drop off. It's completely different with Kyle Trask. So, uh, you know, we'll see what happens here with the quarterback position, but you know, Florida plus 150 on the money line against Georgia is where I would start to bet them. Uh, their win total is absolutely correct. All right, let's move on to the team in my backyard, Kentucky. Uh, really interesting team. There's no more Lynn Bowden. How important was he to the offense? Obviously, he was like the leading passer, the leading receiver, the leading rusher. You have Joey Gatewood, the Auburn transfer. His waiver still up in the air. You know, you have Terry Wilson, who might not be fully healthy yet. Then if not, if you don't get any, you know, Gatewood or Wilson healthy, you have Sawyer Smith back again. Remember him? So it's like, <laughs> what, is this, what is the passing attack going to look like? They can't duplicate what what Bowden did last year for the offense the rushing attack is really good right you have you have smoke and rose back at running back so really good deep running back core and their offensive line is one of the best in the country I mean they could have two or three potential first team all SEC offensive linemen um, starting with their center Drake Jackson was one of the best in the country they have a really experienced D they did lose two of their starting linebackers in Daniel and Oates Oates to a medical concern which was a big loss, but Bohannon's a stud up front. Boogie Watson's awesome at linebacker. Their past team was actually second in the nation last year, and it was like an inexperienced group coming into the year. But I think it was a little misleading. They benefited from a lot of weather. Like, they were playing games in, like, yeah. monsoons all year long. I think it was a little misleading. But the D should be solved. The offensive line should be solved. What does the offense look like? Uh, thoughts on Kentucky? <laughs> Well, I love the defense. They're, uh, you know, they were amazing two years ago, and we might get that again. And they returned 78% uh, of a group that ranked 46th in success rate. Uh, that's fantastic. That's SEC defense. You can hang with the big boys playing that kind of defense. And the question marks really come on the offensive side of the ball. And you named off all the quarterbacks. I mean, 14 months ago, I was in love with Joey Gatewood at Auburn. I thought he was going to be the next Cam Newton. I thought he was going to be able to be a dual threat monster. Didn't work out. Uh, Bo Nix ended his Auburn career, and now he's up here competing for the job. Terry Wilson has had flashes for us two years ago. Uh, knee injury, what, in game two last year? And, you know, Sawyer Smith had a shoulder and wrist issues nagging him all last year. So it's just like a, it's like a mash unit, and then there's Gatewood, who never really got his window. Uh, but, I mean, a year ago at this time, nobody was saying – Lynn Bowden, nobody was even talking about him and, and Kentucky found a way to utilize him and make him the most dynamic player in college football. Uh, so I love the defense here. I think it's going to support the offense until they find, uh, until they find the rhythm. And let's not forget, they have the Ray guy punter, Max Duffy returns to this team. Oh, look at you dropping yeah. special teams nuggets. Here. I didn't hear you say it. So I had to jump on the special teams. There's not many chances I get to do that, but you know, for me, the number I have is 4.73. I see Kentucky listed at under five plus 115. That juice does not match what it should be according to my projection. Under five should be more like minus 125, minus 130. So I do like the Kentucky under five. And the one place that I'm really looking to buy into Kentucky is in Alabama's flattest spot of the year in between Alabama playing LSU, their biggest rivalry, and then Auburn, their other biggest rivalry, they're hosting Kentucky. 
a huge sleepy spot. All you can do is give me the 11 a.m. Jefferson pilot slot, and that'd be perfect for a Kentucky upset. But, uh, you know, Kentucky going down to Tuscaloosa, that to me is the spot of the year. You could take a game of the year on it now, or you could wait until Kentucky potentially, you know, struggles offensively out of the gate uh, against Auburn. Uh, so, you know, I, that's the spot of the year I'm going to buy on Kentucky. And what's your win? What do you make the win total? I make the win total for Kentucky at 4.73. So the juice isn't correct on them whatsoever. It should be under five minus 120, but at plus 115, I would buy it all the way to minus 120. All right, let's move on here. We'll let's get through the last four teams in just a uh, you know a few minutes here. I don't think either of these teams has a shot to win. The one that you somewhat you know their fans at least would argue, hey, we have a shot as Tennessee, so we'll start there. A lot of improvement at the end of last year. Their last six games, I don't think, especially on the defensive side of the ball, you know, you know, nobody, nobody scored, I think, more than 22 points. Their offensive line could have like four or five stars starting. They're waiting on the, the waiver of, of Cade Mays. I don't – that's – it was denied and then appealed. But their offensive line could be really good. It's going to come down to the quarterback. Quick thoughts on the balls. Well, Jared Gontano loses his top receivers. So there's, he, you know, he really didn't have a huge drop-off in efficiency between when he was blitzed and when he wasn't blitzed. So that's the good news. But he's just serviceable as a quarterback. So I expect South Carolina and Mizzou uh, to load the box and force passing on these new targets early in the season who they start off with to, to force Garantano to, to find his rhythm with these new wide receiver looks. Uh, you know, and the offense looks to improve. I mean, they ranked 84th in success rate last year, uh, and they returned plenty of experience on the offensive line, like you mentioned. Uh, Tennessee is listed at, you know, under five minus 115. My projection is 4.67. So if you had to play it, I would take the under. But, uh, you know, Tennessee's not a team I'm going to be playing on this year. Uh, we just need, I would love to have some of Kentucky's defense and some of Kentucky's skill positions, what they've done at Tennessee, and you'd, you'd have a team that could really contend. Uh, what do you make the win total? Win total on Tennessee is projected at 4.67, and the over-under is under 5 at minus 115. I'll let you take this one. Just what's your number and any quick thoughts on South Carolina? Make it 4.09, which is higher than the 3.5. It's a juiced 3.5 right now to take the over. Uh, I, I like the addition of Mike Bobo as the new offensive coordinator, but I don't like Ryan Helinski being his quarterback because Helinski's average depth of a pass was seven yards. The kid is captain check down, right? He, he will not throw it past 10 yards down the field. Uh, he yep. wasn't protected very much either, but you know, Bobo's the new OC. And if you know anything from watching Colorado state football under Bobo, we're going deep. We're going straight down the field. We're throwing it deep. Uh, Helinski, you know, his efficiency dropped from 48% down to 26% when he had pressure. That's something he's going to have to change. He's going to have to throw it farther down the field. And the defense returns 72% of a group that ranked 57th in success rate. Listen, Muschamp's ass is on the line, right? If he doesn't make a bowl yeah, here, if he doesn't make – this is it. He's done, and he will never coach in the SEC as a head coach again. So Muschamp's under a lot of pressure here. You know, for him, it's just his, his mode of style. The defense is more worried about creating havoc than they are tackling. They have tons of missed tackles, but they're also always trying to, you know, punch the ball out, high risk high reward type of defense and it's just not working out. So we'll, we'll see how they go. I don't like them from an offensive standpoint at all. Moving on to Missouri, the bowl ban is lifted, which is a good thing. Drink with air starts. You're going to have a new offense running, but a no huddle spread is what they want to. And the interesting thing with Missouri, their offense was so bad last year. They had three offensive linemen end up on NFL rosters. You don't really consider their offensive line last year any good. Their defense was really good. It didn't really get much pressure, but that four, two, five was really effective Drinkwood's kept de the, their defensive coordinator, so the defense should look pretty similar. Nick Bolden's a stud at, at linebacker. It's a three-safety base D. And a quarterback is a question after they lost AC, which was an unfortunate loss. 
but they've returned 13 of their top 16 tackles. Should still be a decent defense. And I, I believe Sean Robinson, the TCU treasurer, is probably going to be starting quarterback. Any thoughts on Missouri and your number there? Listen, Drinkwitz is – he ends every practice by commenting how inconsistent the offense is. He's blaming the scheme and the playbook, and it's called a pro-tempo scheme that he brought in from App State. This He was using the same excuse uh, during spring practice when they got a couple practices in, like we're just not able to grab this off uh, this offense. I think he's already making excuses that doesn't bode well. They're, they're at two and a half. My projection for them is 2.75. So there's not really an actionable item here from a gambling standpoint. It's just a team that I don't want to – I don't want to back. I mean, they're claiming they're going to – they're going to hold their starting quarterback until kickoff against Alabama. Well, Alabama is going to route you so bad, you're going to end up playing every quarterback in there. So it doesn't matter really who starts the game. You know, Ryan Walters stays back as the D.C. with Barry Odom moving on to Arkansas, being fired, moving on to Arkansas. Uh, 64% returning production on defense. But we'll see how much of that defense was actually coming out of Barry Odom's leadership or how much of it was Ryan Walters. So it's certainly his time to shine. Easily, if you look at the schedule, this is a one and four record through the first start of the season. The two remaining winnable games is Mississippi State and South Carolina. Both of those games are on the road. So, you know, Missouri getting the three wins, I think, would be, you know, an overachievement for them. Uh, and lastly, we obviously have to keep Vandy for last. The least experienced quarterback room I've ever seen in my life. I think they're, they want a true freshman to potentially start. Uh, new offensive coordinator, new defensive coordinator, Ted Roof comes in, going to change the D as well. It's a really experienced D, but they sucked last year. And it's funny, they lost, you know, they have a true freshman quarterback. They lost, you know, Vol- Keyshawn Vaughn, who was like their everything on offense. They lost Lipscomb, who was their best receiver. I don't know what this, this team is awful. You don't think they win a game, right? <laughs> I mean, it was one of the first win totals, I bet, was under one and a half. It's down to one now. My projection for them is 0.33. Mm. Uh, Vandy announced suspension of practice due to COVID breakout. So, I mean, they've been sidelined a little bit because of that. And their offensive returning production is at 35%. And there's just a question mark at every single position. It's not even quarterback. It's everywhere. Defense, a little bit different. They return 93%, but they ranked 111th in success rate. That doesn't put confidence in me that this group is going to be able to change much. Uh, they've got to play more efficient football. No Arkansas on the schedule, so I don't know where the win is going to come from. Mississippi State is on the road. That's your most winnable game uh, if you have a secondary. But, I mean, your most winnable game is on the road, and Arkansas is not here, so I don't know how you get to two wins. I know it's juiced, but under one is still a huge play because these guys getting the two wins would be would make Derek Mason coach of the year. Wow. Um all right, no love for Vandy from you. You're not going to find any from me. All right, so before we get out of here, let's go three and out. One, two, three. Let's make it a quick three and out. All right, so first down, and we'll save the reasoning for later. Uh, just give the people out there that are looking, you know, they don't want to bet too much money, a lot of uncertainty, so they had that one SEC win total. I'm going to do Mississippi State under four. I, I don't see five wins on this schedule. The scheme change. This team is in way too much transition with a coach that is not willing to work. He wants his style implemented. He's not going to cater to you. And that's going to equal a lot of losses in year one. So give me Mississippi State under. All right, moving on to second down. Let's play a game here. Take the SEC team that we think will have to finish with the best against the spread record at the end of the year. If either of us win, we'll put a couple hundred bucks up. The other person has to pay the other person. All the other teams are available for you guys to pick. All you gotta do is go leave a five-star review about the pod and then end with one of the teams that we didn't pick. If you win, you get the money. So Colin, I'll let you pick first. Who are you going with? I'm going with Arkansas. I think that they're, wow. You know, I think odds makers are going to think this is last year's team. 
Uh, I think this is going to be, they think that this is the team from last year that is not motivated, not focused, the team that hasn't won a, a conference game since 2016. But I'm telling you, the Razorbacks are under new management. They're listening to Sam Pittman. They love Sam Pittman. They love their coordinators. They all feel like they're there for each other. That is a complete contrast about what was going on at the end of Chad Morris's days with Nick Starkle wearing Bieber shirts, with Club Dub and the dancing, losing to San Jose State by 100. That shit's all out the door. Arkansas will be, un- they're not going to win, but they will be underrated in how much fight they're going to have. And it may take odds makers a while to adjust that per- that number on them. All right. Arkansas is taken. I'm taking Florida. Everything that I'm focused on this year is that continuity. It's a staff I love. You know, it's maybe the best quarterback in the conference. I'm bet them win the SEC. So I'll roll with Florida. All the other teams are available. So go leave a review for the Action Network podcast. All right, moving on to third down before we get out of here. Let's get a little FCS or no. Southland or SEC? Big Sky or Big Ten? It's time to play FCS or no. Look, I didn't dive into this game yet. I'm going to let you do so. So, Austin P against Central Arkansas on Saturday night. As we're here, Austin P plus three. Now, there's some other shops out there that have a little bit higher number. To me, that number is crazy. So, we're recording this on a Wednesday. So, as I talk, you know, there could be COVID outbreaks, which there already has been at Austin P excuse me, the Hurricane Laura could take a turn and, and really go straight for Montgomery right now. Montgomery is really kind of on the outside skirts after it hits land. So there's a lot of moving pieces to this puzzle here. But I think the point spread is getting pushed because Austin Peay's head coach, Mark Hudspeth, decided to resign in the middle of July. That was after they had 11 COVID uh, tests positive. And then immediately, a guy that wins 11 games for Austin Peay last year and takes him to the FCS quarterfinals, he decides that he's going to dismiss himself as head coach and saying that he needs to spend more time with fans. So there's really a lot going on there. The person that took over is Marques Lovings. He's a defensive coordinator. He's the interim head coach now. The full entire coaching staff is still intact. So as I see this number, and let's let's talk about power ratings real quick. Sagarin, if if we would have based this game off of Sagarin last year, this should be Austin P nine at minus nine and a half. Now, if you go through all the things that I go through in the offseason where it comes to second order win total and returning production. I made this game Austin P minus three and a half. And I think there's two things that are really plugging the steam on this from a public perception about this game. Because Central Arkansas is a good team and they want to play everybody and they want to be known, but they're not Austin P. They're not a quarterfinal FCS team. Uh, they're not, yeah, I mean, Austin P has been fantastic for years. And, and so I think what's going on is, is everybody's looking at the Hudspeth departure, the COVID outbreaks that happened in the beginning of July, and they're just betting on Central Arkansas. We'll see how that goes, but I think the number is completely outrageous and, and deserves it. But let's talk about, you know, the, Marques Lovings is the, is the interim head coach now. He was the defensive coordinator. The offensive coordinator stays in place. Uh, and we have to talk. You and I used to talk about this before. What was Urban Meyer worth to the point spread for Ohio State when he got suspended for three games? How much was his impact? And I think you and I decided that it was really two points against the spread. So why is, you know, Hudspeth's departure moving this thing like six, seven points? That's absolutely ridiculous. So, you know, from a X's and O's standpoint, Central Arkansas has 18 returning starters. 
Also, he has 16 returning starters. So there's a lot of familiar faces from bo- on both sides of the ball for this game. And they played last year, a game that Central Arkansas was trailing the entire time, even though Austin P quarterback, Jeremiah Oatswell, got hurt like in the second series of the game. And Austin P had a problem putting any points up because he was hurt and taken out. And Central Arkansas had problems putting points up of their own until a 43-yard explosive pass from Braylon Smith, uh, you know, gave them the one-point lead. And then Austin P tried to go for it on their own 20. They spotted, you know, Central Arkansas. So you're going to look at the score and you're going to say, well, Central Arkansas handed it to them. They didn't. They didn't have the lead until middle of the fourth quarter. Uh, and, and, you know, it was kind of a fluke game when you look at turnovers and you look at, you know, yards per play and yards gained. That was Austin P's game the entire time. And the thing about Braylon Smith is, is he's a pocket passer. He doesn't get out and run the ball anywhere. And he took sacks on about 9% of his attempts. And he's made comments this offseason, like, I've got to get better at getting rid of the ball. I'm taking too many sacks. Uh, 10% taking sacks, that, that's a lot. And that is the strength of the Austin P defense is their front seven is loaded. All-American candidate, Joseph Smith, who is a tackle for loss machine. Uh, they have a transfer coming in from Penn State. This is Austin P's game. So, you know, get over the power rating, get over the Hudspeth portion of it, and get over what people are thinking from last year's score. There's a hurricane on the way. Uh, Hurricane Laura is making landfall here uh, on Thursday. Uh, It's going to whip around, and by the time it's going to be in the Tennessee-Alabama region, this is going to be an extremely wet ball game. Uh, The total came out today around 43 and a half. Uh, The first half total is at 22. Uh, if you listen to the Central Arkansas coach, Nathan Brown, he came out after their last scrimmage and he said the defense dominated the offense, which is crazy because the offense is the strength of the Central Arkansas team. You know, if the Central Arkansas offense can't get anything going in their first game of the season and Austin Peay's strength is the front seven and they have problems offensively, you throw a hurricane on top of it. I like a first half under in this game. I like an under overall. And Austin P, this is just way too much movement on this point spread. So that's where I'm going. Awesome P in the under here. Well, it's nice to take the, the week off for the FCS breakdown because that was a beautiful breakdown. Uh, <laughs> plus, it's an Arkansas it's an Arkansas college, so I figured I'd let you take it. And death taxes and, and column fading college football teams within the state of Arkansas. Although he's higher on – starting to get high. There's optimism in Arkansas. And he took them as the team that finished with the best against the spread record. Against so the maybe, spread. So maybe, yeah, I'm saying that's all that we care about. So maybe there's some more Arkansas – uh, plays get ready to come through on the app. And make sure you check out the write up on Action App and ActionNetwork.com as well. Subscribe, like I said before, subscribe, rate, review, leave your team. First one to leave the team that we didn't say in the SEC could be eligible for that prize in the contest. We're excited to be back. We're excited to just talk college football, live the awesome wins, sweat, bitch about the bad losses, just have it all. Voicemails will be back, all of it. Thank you guys so much for listening. Uh, We truly appreciate it. We'll catch you all next week for the ACC and Big 12 previews and the week one betting preview. We'll catch you all later. Cheers. Peace out. We're finished talking.